0: This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org and see what 2017 has been about. And so, for the last three Sundays, we've looked at messages that tie back into series that we had during the year. We thought again about the importance of living as Christians in spirit and in truth. We reconsidered again how our lives are completely turned around in our life 360. We stopped and we challenged ourselves about how we are living and the need to be radical. And then when we were looking at the sermon series, we thought, we've got a spare week before Christmas. Now, at that point in time, I had started looking at a message out of Philippians 1. And I said, well, I'm looking at Philippians 1, and Rob said, fine, Philippians 1. Morning, I'm here. Not so much looking back, but looking from where we are in 2017 forward, because there's no point just looking back unless we're going to project forward from there. And as we look into 2018, what is the one thing we can take in with us? What is just one thing that we can hold on to? Next week, as we say, will be our Christmas Eve service, a special service as we really delve deep again into the joys of what Christmas is. If you are going to be here next Sunday and if you've got a good reading type voice, please have a chat to Roke afterwards. As you know, Christmas is deep in scripture and there's lots of wonderful passages to read and it's so good as we're gathering as a family if we all take part. So, if you're going to be here next week, have a chat to Roke. And he'll give you, I promise he won't give you the bad words. He tells me nobody's reading Matthew chapter one. It's a fine thing. Father, Father, accept the praise we've offered. Accept our hearts. Take them. Mold them and prepare them for what you have ahead of us. Amen. 2018. What will it mean to you? How will you live 2018? Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. I'm starting to read from verse 20. Philippians chapter one from verse 20. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, This means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that... Because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. But Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel and not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. This is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw that I had, and now hear that I have. How will you set your goals for 2018? For Paul, Paul was sitting under house arrest in Rome. He was under Roman guard 24-7. And as we read the book of Philippians, we realize that this was quite special because his impact on the Roman guards was huge. Earlier in the chapter, he talks about the fact that out of his imprisonment, the truth of the gospel has gone throughout the entire imperial guard. He's writing to the church in Philippi, again, a Roman colonial city populated mainly by retired military men. We have a few of them in our country. But they too understood the importance of strong structures and of things being the right way around. And so it made sense that as he spoke to them, he could speak about his clear goals and his clear expectations and hopes. See, Paul is imprisoned. And he doesn't sit there and go, "Ah, just not fair, there's so much to do. For Paul's, my clear expectation and hope. His goal was not, I'm going to be released. His goal, his expectation, his hope that he would not be ashamed. 2018, what is your goal? Do you have a goal for next year that you will be prosperous and earn your seventh million? Or, Mark, the rest of us, our first would be good. Do we have a goal that we will be healthy? Do we have a goal that we will see this church full in three services? Do we have lots of goals that are positive and really good and straightforward? Paul doesn't even care if he's alive or dead. Just his expectation and his fervent hope is that he will not be ashamed and that Christ will be highly honored in his body. Paul's mindset, even though he's in a very dark place, is not about what's good for Paul. He's aware of God. His goal is not, will I live or will I die? For he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's not about will I live or will I die, but it's will Christ be honored? Tough passage. Here's the thing. Look back at 2017. Was it good? Yeah, there have been some good things happened been some horrible things as well. Alan. And Marudo, she's not here. Ron, Roper. If we can look around us and we see people for whom this has been a wonderful year. It was my birthday this week. That's a good thing. Every year with a birthday in is a good year. And I had and thank you to all of those who I'm going to mention now without mentioning names, but I had hundreds of well wishes from all around the planet. Folks who I haven't heard from for for about a year. And it's so good. And in amongst them, I had a Skype message from my old boss at my previous work. All the best, Mike, wonderful, wonderful, blah, blah, blah. I said, great, Angie, good to hear from you. How, How are you doing? Everything well with the family? She said, I don't know if you heard that My daughter died in September. She had two daughters, one of whom died two years ago, the other one died this year. She has two orphan grandkids, one from each daughter. What do you say? I'm in the middle of birthday euphoria, getting no work done, so my whole life is on acknowledge, like, thank you, reply on Facebook. Suddenly, it strikes me. So you pray for her then and there and you say, sorry Angie, I have no words. She says, yeah, I don't understand either. I know God's in control. I just don't know what he's doing. That was Wednesday. Thursday, my mother-in-law had a scan and we heard that she has can- cancer of the pancreas. If You're not medical. All you have to know is that this is not good news. I've had this passage on my desk, ready for today, for a couple of months. And I've battled with verse 21. What, do I, what am I supposed to say? When we need to live as Christ, die is gain. And death is real. I do not want this to be true, but I just feel I have to say it. We cannot guarantee that all of us will be here this time next year. we can just about certainly guarantee that some of us will be here this time next year with very heavy hearts. Paul, for me to live, to die is gain. I'm choosing not to die by tripping over a cable. You see, he's very clear that so long as he is living, He is fruitful because to live is Christ. Not to live is to be with Christ or to live is to be close to Christ or to live is to remember from time to time to read my Bible and to be vaguely like Christ. But to live is Christ. To live is to be so involved with Christ, such a part of Christ, that you cannot tell the difference. For me to live is Christ and you should not be able to see where Mike stops and Christ starts because to me to live is Christ. It says, now if I live on in this flesh, it means fruitful work for me. Jesus himself speaks about being fruitful when he says that we are the branches and he is the vine. And if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. Now, I don't know how much you know about vine growing, but try and see where the branch stops. It's just so ingrained in the trunk, you can't see the difference. For me to live is Christ. We are completely one. And to live means fruitful work. I am not saying if you have not had a fruitful year, that you are not with Christ. But I am saying, stop. Use this weird time of year to reflect and say, okay, Jesus, was I with you this year? Is it true that for me to live is Christ? And then he says, to die is gain. We don't really like this, but it's unavoidable. The only nice thing about death is that it's absolutely fair. We all get to do it. And Paul says to die is gain. Because when we die, we will not just be living as Christ's representative and living and with, as Christ in the world, but we will be with him forever and ever and ever. I don't think any of us really understands the hugeness of what this means to be set free from this body from this world from all the things that really niggle us forever to die is gain but it's a hard balance how do you choose these things as we were here last week really precious moment when somebody had the courage to stand up and say in fact, a couple of people talking about what real struggles they were going through and some of them to the point of considering suicide it's hard when we get to that point of do I want to live here and as Christians it's something which we hit on a daily basis Paul hitting it here in this passage for me to live is Christ oh but it would be so good to be out of this body to die is gain. We don't always get to choose. In fact, it's good if we don't choose and we let God choose for us. This week, for those of you who read long words, R.C. Sproul died. R.C. Sproul, an amazing writer. You know these theologian chappies who can write things so simply, you think, why did I miss that? Just this year, he is quoted as saying, There are two ways of dying. We either die in sin or die in faith. The thing about death is we're all going to do it. Our choice is, are we going to die in sin, which is the biggest waste possible, or are we going to die in faith, in which case to die is gain? There are no other options. Yes, there are good deaths, there are bad deaths, there are easy deaths, there are slow deaths. But if you are living in Christ, to die is gain. But when we are living in Christ, our goal is always, whether in life or in death, That Christ be honored. Yes, to die is gain because then for us, we are with Christ. And that's great for us. It's not good for those around us. It's important for us to remember that we are told in the Bible very clearly to weep with those who weep. Yes, acknowledge that death is not the end. Yes, accept the glory of what death means to us as believers. But death hits the survivors too. Grieving is hard. Don't downplay it. It's quite interesting looking when we're chatting as an eldership team because, as you know, we have two people who are more reflective than the other two. And the darker members of the team instinctively, from a cultural basis, they know how to mourn. It is just so fascinating for those of us who don't have that privilege to watch this and think, how do you guys actually so instinctively know to get in place to be the mourning support necessary? Now, I know it doesn't always work, and we often get people who, mourners are gathered which means they're all sitting around on the pavement getting drunk and they're actually being no use to the family at all but that's another whole story for me i saw at first this cultural difference in mourning when my brother-in-law died and they were living in Mashringo. we drove down to Mashringo. as we pulled up at the gate the front lawn was full mishringo presbyterian church was all there they had been there for four hours just sitting on the lawn singing quietly Then we arrived, and it was essentially a case of oh, Jillian's family has arrived. and You just saw that sort of cultural shift as the entirely Shana congregation stood up and left. And it was weird, because we went from the Shana mourning of everybody together to, okay, it's now just family, and... which is great for us, because that's how we do mourning. When we get to weep with those who weep, we have to have some sensitivity to what the other person is feeling. But also listen to what you're feeling. You, whatever your cultural privilege, have the mind of Christ. And if you need to weep, weep. Jesus wept. He wept when he saw the pain of people he loved. Weep with those who weep. But if to die is gain, what about living? How do we get on, get on with living? And this I find so striking in what Paul says here. As you read through that passage there, you see Paul's view of his circumstance is not about Paul. Paul. To remain in the flesh is more necessary for, not for my sake, but for your sake. I will remain and continue for all of you for, not for my continued growth and progress and ability to get to know more of Jesus, but for your progress and joy in the faith. So that your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. To live is Christ. And Christ will be honored in my body for you. To die is gain, great for me. And we need to support each other as we're going through the grieving process. But to live is Christ for you. My role on earth is not for me. Alan, Ron, we'll pick on you again. Have you learned the important lesson of marriage yet? It's not about you. It's I'm, I'm still, oh, I've only been married for years. I'm still allowed to tell newly married stories. But just that realization that it doesn't really matter what I like. Because I am here to honor the most precious thing that God could give me after Calvary. And we need to have that sort of lifestyle continually of saying, it's not about me. It's the end of year. How many of you have been to your bosses and said, Can I have a raise next year? Why? It's not about you. Maybe if you went to your boss and said, I actually have two new orphans I'm bringing into my family and I'm going to need extra money to bring them up, then, no, then we can talk. Because it's not about you. To live is Christ for their sake, not for yours. But how? What does this look like? How do we put feet on this? How does Paul put feet on this? How does Paul teach us how to do this? Simply. And this is what attracts me to this passage, this verse. Paul says just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life such that the gospel has not been wasted because... God's getting good value for his investment. Live a life worthy of, what is the gospel? What is the gospel of Christ? What does it mean? The good news about Christ, what is that? What does it mean that Jesus gave up everything for you who deserved nothing? What does that mean? What does it mean that you who deserve hell for eternity, he suffered unimaginable pain so that you can have heaven for eternity? That is the gospel. That God loved the world and you so much that he gave his only son but if you believe in him you will not perish but will have everlasting life. That is huge. That is massive, that is glorious, that is phenomenal and live your life worthy of it. Live your life in such a way you're not going to earn that salvation, but live your life in such a way that you do not dishonor it definitely. And aim to live in such a way that you are worthy of what you can never possibly be worthy of. Again, husbands, we can never ever be worthy of the privilege we have of our our wives. But that's why we're called to love them, to honor them, to care for them, to support them. To live worthy of the gift given. How much more when we consider the gift of God to us in salvation? Your goal for 2018... Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, because that is your citizenship. I don't care hugely whether you've got a little voting card or not, or what your citizenship is or not. Your citizenship, if you're a believer in Christ, is a citizen of heaven. That is where you belong. Do not let the world or a crazy, changeable human government tell you your citizenship can be changed. It can't. You are a citizen of heaven. So live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. How? Paul says, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, then I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ means standing firm. It means not being shaken by what's around you. Jesus spoke about the wise man who built his house on the rock. It was great when we were little, We loved singing songs about it. We even loved even more thinking the house on the sand fell flat because we could do the actions, and it was fun. Stand firm. When the storms come, when the attacks come, when the doubts come, stand firm. And to be more precise, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one accord. Very seldom are we called to stand alone. We are not a group of kingdom persons. We are a kingdom people. Stand firm in one spirit, in one essence, in one reason for existence, in one faith structure, in one belief, in one purpose, in one accord, with one goal. With one aim. That is who we are to be, was to be standing firm, standing firm, deliberately focused together on seeing a radical manifestation of the kingdom of God. Together, as one, in one accord, committed to seeing the lives of everyday people changed. Committed to seeing the transformation in the fabric of families communities and nations, in one accord, standing firm. I can't count the number of things in 2017 that have wanted to shake each one of us. In various ways, in various places. Things we've heard, things we've seen, things we've experienced, things we've thought But as citizens of heaven, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ that I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one accord, contending together for the faith. You see, it's, it's one thing to stand firm in what we believe and say, this is it, this is the truth, we'll stand by it, and then put it on our shelf and come back next week. But there is a place to stand together together, and contend for that faith, to fight for it. To be absolutely committed to saying, this is not just something we're going to let go, we're going to hold on firmly because this is worth fighting for. This is the faith which we will contend together for. Again, Paul very specifically doesn't say, yeah, you do your bit, I'll do my bit. He's in Rome under house arrest. The Philippians are in Philippi. He's very aware that the church not just in Philippi, but global, must be contending together for the faith. This can be hard because as we are given different parts of the world to work in, we see different things, we understand different things, and we think differently. Using where we are at the moment, there are a number of Christians on the far side of the world who believe categorically without any doubt at all that military rule is evil. I'm not really in the mood to actually set up a big fight on that, perfe- perfectly honest. I'm quite liking it at the moment. You see, there are things that are they're open-handed issues, and things that we think are the faith. But when we get to what is the faith, the core belief, what we actually believe, what really matters, contend together for the faith. Do not let it slip away. Do not let anybody nibble away at the edges and tell you, well, maybe Jesus didn't quite rise from the dead. We believe that Jesus Christ came to earth, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, Suffered, died, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. Contend together for the faith. Whether it was a big fish or a small fish or a fisherman's tail, eh, you can worry about that later. contend for the faith of the gospel. And we need to be ready to contend. We need to be ready to fight because it's not always easy. There are opponents. I guess we're not special as a generation, but certainly in this generation where media and writings can travel so quickly, we have seen a quite remarkable crop of oppositions to the faith. The rise of the new atheists in the last 20 or 30 years has been really exciting because, wow, it's fascinating to see how really clever people can think so strangely. I don't want to diss them because they're cleverer than I am. And again, going back to R.C. Sproul, there are only two ways that they die they either die in sin or they die in faith. It's harsh. But we needn't be frightened of them, because as we contend together for the faith, believing firmly what we know to be true, who are they? Their cleverness is extremely clever. It's God-given cleverness, even if it's not being used the way we would like it to. Paul says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Those who want to undermine your, eth- your ethical stand. Those, oh, I've been picking on two boys and now looks look str- one row behind, there's Sean. All the good married guys sit down this end, it seems. Sorry, Sean. Sorry, Lynn. I haven't even got you- used to you guys being married yet. That's like, yeah. But don't let things oppose you. Don't be frightened of them. Again, extreme view. Remember where these guys were. Paul was imprisoned by Nero. You don't need to know much Roman history to know that Rome, Nero, and Christians generally doesn't end well for the Christians. But to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't understand, Paul. How can I not be frightened? I don't understand, Paul. How can I live in this world when there is so much to be frightened of, as citizens of heaven? It's just that one thing: live your life worthy of the gospel. Yes, we pray that there'll be no opposition. We pray that there'll be no suffering or death. We pray sincerely there'll be no hardship. But what if the one thing that we ask God to take away is the one thing that he wants to use to make us more like Christ? I'll say it again. I know where I got that quote from. I cannot find who originated it. But listen anyway. What if the one thing that we ask God to take away is the one thing that he wants to use to make us more like Christ. There will be opponents. There will be suffering. There will be hardship. And you will not be frightened in any way by your opponents. One of the reasons why we can accept opposition, we can accept opponents, we can accept things that we really plead with God to take away is because God is God. Again, R.C. Sproul, God is either sovereign or else he is not God. Paul here in verses 29 and 30 says, It has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. God, the same God who gave you his son, the same God who gave you grace, the same God who gave you the opportunity to be saved, he granted you the ability and the option and the availability and the moment to believe in him. And he granted you also To suffer for him. Well, there's a happy little note to end the year on, isn't it? That God, who just happens to know everything, the God who happens to know the end from the beginning, the God who happens to have absolutely clear vision and is not swayed by Twitter, daily news, or any other source of information, granted you the privilege. Of suffering. This doesn't fit, does it? It's Christmas. What happened to gentle Jesus? Who didn't even think, according to our classically warped tradition, to have enough sense of suffering to cry. I mean, tell me, any mothers here, how's this go? Little Lord Jesus, no crying, he made. It's not true. He knew about suffering. We've got a whole chunk of the Old Testament that talks about the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we've got other stuff in the Bible as well that tells us that he works all things together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You have been granted not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. He gave it to you because He knows. It's Christmas. Even in our little country, who seem to have lost a lot of what the rest of the world sees as Christmas spirit, we still have some idea about presents. And we still know that if somebody gives us a present, it's not a very good idea to just ignore it and carry on. He has granted you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Accept the gifts he offers. Even if it's worse than a pair of socks again. So then, 2018, what are your goals? To live long and prosper? Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm. Stand firm together in one spirit and in one accord contend together for the faith of the gospel and do not be afraid of the opposition that comes Listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org.